Turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. So as you notice, there's a tank of water behind us. We're going to have a, at the end of the service, we'll have a uh, baptism, which will welcome two new members to the church. So we are excited about that. It's a very dramatic presentation of the gospel. So uh, John chapter 18. And... Two weeks, uh, Easter will be here, and Easter is the highlight of the Christian year. It's the high point. Uh, It it is, in a way, our new year, because it's when Christ rose, and everything that we have is a result of him being alive. And so we're going to take three weeks out of our normal schedule, preaching through Exodus, to focus on what Christ did in that last week of his life. And so this week, we're going to look at the trial of Jesus, before Pilate. Next week, we're going to look at his crucifixion, and the week after that, we're going to look at the resurrection. And we're going to see the heart of the gospel, which is what Christ did. So today, we're going to look at his trial before Pilate. So it's a little bit of a long passage, verse, Roman, uh, John chapter 18, verses 28 through chapter 19 and verse 16. So just the background, Jesus has met with his disciples. They had what's called the Last Supper, because it was the last supper he would have on this earth. It, it's the time of the Passover. So if you've been with us in Exodus, remember when the Exodus began, there was the Passover meal. And, Jesus, and God says, put the lamb's blood on the door and I'll pass over you and I won't kill you. And then do this every year. Have one week out of the year where you don't eat leaven and you kill a lamb and you remember the Passover when I did not kill you. Well, this is that week about 1,500 years later. So we've jumped up a millennia and a half from uh, Exodus chapter, I think, 10, and they're still practicing the Passover. But now things have changed because the Passover lamb that was being remembered has now been replaced by the true Passover lamb, which is Christ. So Christ has a meal with his, with his uh, disciples, gives what's called, we call the Lord's Supper, which was his last supper, then he goes to the garden where he normally went, and at that time, Judas Iscariot betrays him, brings soldiers to the garden, they arrest him, and they haul him away before the religious court, uh, the Sanhedrin, as it was called, where the high priests, the J- Jewish religious leaders, who had been his enemies this whole time, as he slowly drew people away from them to follow him and not their leadership. They have sort of a mock court in the middle of the night, they had witnesses, but the witnesses all contradicted each other. They, they sort of uh, beat him, try to get beat a submission out of, uh, a confession out of him. It was a kangaroo court, but they already knew what they wanted. They wanted to kill him. But at that time, the Jews weren't allowed to kill anybody because they were under the rule of Rome. They were part of the Roman Empire. And so in Jerusalem, there was a man named Pilate who was the Roman governor, Roman guy in charge of that area. It's called a prefect. And so the Jewish people, as much as they hated Rome and hated being under the authority of an, a foreign nation, they still needed to take Jesus to the Romans so that the Romans could kill him. And so that's where we're going to start here in verse 28. He's been condemned by the Jewish leaders, and now they bring him to Pilate. And verse 28 says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the high priest, to the praetorium, which is the Roman headquarters, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Remember all the regulations about the Passover in Exodus? 
no leaven. There had to be certain qualifications. If you became unclean, you couldn't eat the Passover. And so they were good Jews, and they kept, kept things. They wanted to make sure they could eat the Passover. In verse 29, Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he should die. What that saying is uh, when the Romans killed somebody that was not a Roman citizen, like a Jew, they would crucify him. When the Jews killed somebody, they would stone him. Jesus had already predicted that he would be lifted up on the cross. So that would mean the Romans had to kill him. So that's what he says here, that it would be fulfilled, signifying by what death he, should die, he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause was I born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. The word robber there also means a uh, guerrilla fighter. He was a political insurrectionist. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. Therefore when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and set down the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha, now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king! But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, 
Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away and led him away. Quite a story. So when we talk about Easter and the resurrection, it's not just that Jesus rose from the dead. He did other things before that. And this is where it begins. You see the persecution and the suffering of Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about the suffering of Jesus. And we can see it happen in this passage. He's arrested, religious trial, civil trial, cross, resurrection. This is what the gospel is about. But the trial here of Jesus is actually ironic. And what that means, it's not actually the trial of Jesus. It's Jesus putting them on trial. Man is actually on trial. Pilate is on trial. It doesn't seem that way, but that's what's happening. And here's the choice. Here's the trial. Which kingdom will you choose? Which king will you follow? That's the question here. Jesus doesn't need a trial. He is the king. And so in a reversal of roles, Jesus puts them on trial. So we see here two kingdoms, two citizens, and then the king of heaven. All here in this passage. And you notice the emphasis. It's on the king, the rule of somebody, which is ironic because it's a trial early in the morning, yet we're talking about kingship. So the two kingdoms here, Christ very clearly lays out two things when he talks to Pilate. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, are you speaking for yourself? Did you come up with this question? Or did someone tell you? And he says, am I a Jew? I don't have any, this is your problem. It's not my problem, I'm a Roman. And Jesus says something that really defines the entire ministry and reality that we live in. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But now my kingdom is not from here. Well, if it's not from here, where is it from? You see how this explodes the worldview of, of Pilate? Pilate knew about multiple kingdoms, but they were all here. Jesus is saying it's not from here. It's not from this earth. It's not of this world. Well, it must be from another world. What Jesus is saying is there are two planes of existence the heavenly plane, and the earthly one. And he says, I'm not from this earthly world. I'm from another one, and that's where my kingdom is from. Now, this heavenly kingdom is not physical. So how do we distinguish between the two kingdoms, the heavenly and the earthly? Well, the heavenly kingdom is not physical, not yet. It will be in the future, but not yet. So when we see physical things, we know those are not part of the heavenly kingdom. It's not built on force or strength. Look what he says. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom's not of this world, so my servants don't fight. Well, how do you establish a kingdom if you don't fight? How do you keep other people from taking over? If it, but, but the point here is that the kingdom of heaven is not built on power. It's not built on pressuring people. It's not built on force, which means it's built on something else. What it is, he tells him, he says, Jesus, Pilate says, are you a king then? In other words, if you don't fight for your kingdom, are you even a, how are you a king? Jesus says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You see what Jesus did? He tied his kingdom to the truth. He came as a king who proclaimed the truth. And all who are part of the kingdom are brought in through the truth. Now, how far does truth get you in setting up kingdoms in this world? Not very far, does it? No kingdom is built on truth. It's built on power. So Pilate knows this, and that's why he says, I find him innocent, because this guy thinks he can build a kingdom and be a king without force, just truth. He says, he's no threat. He's no threat. And he wasn't a threat at this time, not to an earthly kingdom. Think about where Jesus is standing right now. He's either chained or he's surrounded by guards. He's by himself. He's no threat. He even says, I'm not going to fight you. There'll be no soldiers. There'll be no insurrection. There'll, there'll be, there's no army. I'm just going to tell the truth. And Pilate's like, okay. But what do we get from this? The kingdom of heaven, which the church is that on earth, is not built on power. It's built on truth. The truth is the power. And when that doesn't seem to work, we just say, like Jesus said, we're not from here. And the things that work here, that's not what we do. And you say, well, I was born here. No, you were born from above. See, Christians are born again. You were born into the earthly kingdom, yes. But then you were born again into the heavenly kingdom. And we adopt that citizenship. So it's built on truth, which is weak in this world. This is not to say that the truth will overcome. No, the truth will be killed. Look at what the truth got Jesus. Mocked, beaten, crucified. So the truth will set you free, but not free from suffering. Not free from defeat in this world. Jesus is saying, I'm not offering you anything here except for what I got here. And so we look at this trial, which is a historical event, so picture it in your mind. Look what telling the truth got Jesus. That's what it'll get us. Nothing in this world. Yet, that is the kingdom of heaven. That is Christ's kingdom. But there's another option. There's the earthly kingdom, which is what Pilate and the Jews, that's, what, that's all they saw. That's what we see a lot of times. In the earthly kingdom, what is it built on? It's built on physical things. It's built on money. It's built on property. It's built on bodies. Now, are those things inherently bad? That's not the point. The point is the kingdom of earth is built on things of the earth. So when we see things of the earth, we know that that's not what Christ is ruling over in his kingdom. Eventually, he's going to destroy it all. You see, in the second coming, God's going to destroy this world and rebuild it. Because this world can't survive. It's corrupted. And so we look at what we have in our lives, money. If we think this is about money, we are buying into an earthly kingdom. If we think it's about property, we're buying into an earthly kingdom. If we try to mix Christianity and property or land or material possessions, we're mixing two kingdoms that can't be mixed. You can only serve one master. You serve God or mammon, money. We as Christians can do that very easily because we sit here in this courtroom and what it looks like to us is that way is not working. This heavenly kingdom, it's not working. 
we need to do something different. We need more money. We need more people. We need more property. We need more resources. We need more influence. We need more earthly things to build God's kingdom. That doesn't work. You see, the trial here is saying, where are you going to invest your life? Things you can't see or things you can see? Now, your natural self says, of course you invest in what you can see. But Jesus is saying, this is the upside-down world of Christianity. It says all the things you can see don't really matter. But the things you can't see, that's what's really true. That's reality. And so faith tells us the things we can see and touch and use, they're going to pass away. Don't invest in them. Don't put weight on them. You put on weight, you put weight on the kingdom of heaven, which is built on truth. And what's going to happen to your investments? Well, eventually they're all going to go away. See, if you build, if you invest in a kingdom you can't see, you'll lose out in the kingdom you can see. You see, what God is saying is don't invest in this world, invest in the next world. Lay not up for yourself treasures in this world, laid up in heaven. Yeah, but what's the return in heaven? It's not much here. It's saying invest in heaven, which means you'll lose out here. And what does it mean to lose out in an earthly kingdom? Money, power, influence, property, flesh. You lose out. I'm not sure how for everybody. But if you're gaining power here, ask yourself if you're sacrificing the heavenly kingdom for the earthly kingdom. And look at what Jesus does. He says you've got to choose between two things. You've got to choose between two kingdoms. Are you going to build it on this world or build it on the next? And so he gives us two examples in the story. Two people act out this trial. Pilate and the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the high priests, the officers of the court. And they give us two examples of people who built their life in this world. And they're two very different people in one sense, but in the end they're the same. So you see the Jewish leaders. Throughout the whole book of John, the Jewish leaders represent those opposed to God, the world as it were. This world, openly opposed, they are not of the kingdom of heaven, and they don't want it. They openly hate Christ. They're bloodthirsty. Look at verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they wanted one thing. They wanted to kill Jesus. And in the trial beforehand, they didn't care about whether he was guilty. just wanted to get rid of him. And they didn't hide it. They were open. They said, we're here for one reason. Kill that man. That's the non-Christian world, as it were. They've openly rejected Christ. They don't want anything to do with him. Now, they're often religious, spiritual, as it were. Look in verse, uh, verse 39, or verse 29. Uh, no, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas uh, to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover, just like Moses told them to, just like God told them to. We're looking at Exodus. Everyone in Israel had to eat the Passover. And if you didn't eat the Passover, you were cut off. So they said to themselves, we are Jews. We must do what God said. We're not going to go into this Gentile establishment. Now, why they wouldn't go in, it could be that there was leaven or yeast in the building. If you remember, you were supposed to get rid of all that. 
It could be that there were dead bodies there. We're not really sure what the reason was. But they would have been unclean. And they had to go through sort of the ceremonial cleansing. And they said, we don't want to do that. We're going to stay outside. Doesn't that sound like good religious practice? Obeying God's word? But they're missing the whole point, aren't they? The irony that, that John constantly pulls out is the Passover lamb was actually in the building. And they said, we don't want that Passover lamb. We want the fake one. We don't want the true one. So they crucified the true Passover lamb so that they could eat the type. You see, they gave up on the true Passover so they could eat their Passover. But it sure looked good to everybody's eyes. They looked like they were following God. And often the world who rejects Christ, they look like they're following God. They look like they're doing the right thing. But they're actually rejecting Christ for themselves. And you can see this come out again in the way they deal with Pilate. So look at verse seven, chapter 19 and verse 7. Then the Jews answered him, We have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. They're not here to, their goal is not to gain power for themselves, it seems. They're just trying to keep religious purity. They're trying to do the right thing. Blasphemers must be killed. That's what the law says. As they tell Pilate, we're here to keep our religion. But what this trial does, what God is doing here, is just like he did in Exodus. He backs them up against the Red Sea so that they have to face the truth. And he backs the Jews up against their own goals and reveals them. You see, they said, we worship God. We keep the Passover. We're the chosen people. We're in the covenant. We reject false gods. This man says he's a false god. We reject that. We want the true God. And God says, I'm not going to let you get away with that. So I'm going to put you in a situation where the only way you can get what you really want is to reveal what you really want. And he does that here. Look in, verse, uh, in chapter 18, verse 39. Pilate says to him, you have a custom and I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, no, not this man, but Barabbas. But Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was a murderer. In Luke, it tells us that he, was a, that he killed people in a, in a political uprising. <laughs> the Pharisees did not support that uprising. But you see what they're doing here? They're saying, we'll free a murderer as long as we can kill Jesus. We'll support anything to get what we want. Now, let me bring it home a little bit. I know that's wrong, but let's overlook it because it gets us something better. The end justifies the means. Politics is built on that. Politics is built on overlooking sin to get power. And Christians are right in the middle of it. I know that's wrong, but if we don't overlook it, we can't get what we need. That's this kingdom. That's the kingdom of this world. That's not the kingdom of truth. Truth says Barabbas is a murderer. He should not be released. But the kingdom of this world says, yeah, we'll just overlook it for now to get what we really want. Are we doing that? Overlooking open sin for what it will get us in the future? You say, well, that end is good. No, it's not. 
Anytime you overlook sin to get something, that thing is not good. That's how you know it's not good. How do we know that the Jews were wrong? Because they released a murderer. How do you know your goals are wrong? Because you're pushing aside sin to get something bigger. That's how you can evaluate. You see, God cares about everything. He doesn't just care about the end. The end doesn't justify the means, or God doesn't care about sin. And so the Jews are forced to reveal what they really want. They don't want justice. They don't want truth. They don't want peace. Or they wouldn't let a murderer go free. They wanted to kill Jesus. But even it goes even further. God puts the Jewish leaders completely open. Look down at verse 14. That was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, he brought Jesus out to them, Behold your king. Now Pilate's twisting the knife. He knows they don't think it's his king, but he doesn't like being manipulated by the Jews. So he's saying, he's mocking them. He said, Behold your king. And they cried, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Crucify this pretender who pretends like he's God. Right? That's what they're trying to say. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Then the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Now think about who's saying this. The Jewish leaders. All throughout the Old Testament, the Bible clearly says, the Bible that they taught and preached every week, that there's no king but God. And the only earthly king that's legitimate for a Jew is the Davidic king. Those kings who came from David, those are the true kings. What they would have called him was the Messiah. We know the Jews are waiting for the Messiah. These leaders said, we're waiting for the Messiah. But they weren't, were they? They are forced to admit it. Now, many of them probably regretted it or tried to cover it up. But they say, we have no king but Caesar. We'll have no king over us, even the Messiah. If David came back right now, we choose Caesar. We choose the king who has enslaved Israel. If that's what it takes, we'll do it. If we have to prostrate ourselves before a Gentile king and reject the Messiah, we'll do it as long as we can kill Jesus. You see what God has done here? He's taken what they would never admit and forced him to admit it. Now, you're on trial right now. You haven't been taken this far, but that's what this passage is doing to you. The preaching of this word right here is putting you in the same place as the Jews. Ask yourself, if you were pushed, what would you choose? If all your options were taken away, what would you choose? Would you choose this world? How much sin would you put up with to get that good thing that you want? See, God's grace has not taken you that far. He's given you a warning in this passage. He's saying, you're a wicked person. And given the opportunity, you'll do anything to get what you want. So don't go that far. See that you would choose Caesar just like them to get what you want. Now ask yourself, are you headed down that path? Are you supporting political leaders and covering their sin to get what you want? Are you releasing Barabbas to get justice? Are you overlooking things at work to provide for your family? You're not providing for your family. You're sinning. You see, what God is doing, he's pulling back the curtains on the human heart. And he's saying, we love to get what we want, and we justify it 
and we overlook all sorts of bad things in our own life and our own behavior and other people's lives as long as it serves our ends. But God sees the heart. But there's another person here. There's Pilate. And many of us fall into this category. Pilate's a skeptic. Pilate's neutral. He says to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus said, who told you this? And Pilate's like, I'm not a Jew. This isn't my problem. You've got a dispute between Jewish leaders and your kingship. I, I'm at, keep me out of this. I'm neutral. <laughs> I'm not even sure all this is true. So that's, the, that's the spirit of our age in a lot of ways. Just be doubt, doubt everything. Be a skeptic about everything. You don't know if anything's true, especially religion. <clears throat> in fact, doubting has become the new religion. Look at the religious leaders that are prominent in America really prominent. They get on national news and television and, and talk shows. They're building a religion around doubting everything that's brought before them, except for themselves. So there's a man named Rob Bell. He just put out a, 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 a movie called Heretic. And in it, he calls all the young people to, re, to doubt everything they were taught and not just receive it. But he never calls anyone to doubt himself. You see, that's what Pilate's doing here. He said, I don't, I'm not a Jew. I don't know what's really going on. But Pilate never doubts himself. And if you have a, a, a religion of doubt, you've got nothing. Chesterton says this, a, the new rebel is a skeptic and will not entirely trust anything. He has no loyalty. Therefore, he can never really be a revolutionist. And the fact that he doubts everything really gets in his way when he tries to denounce anything. By rebelling against everything, he has lost his right to rebel against anything. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to be a rebel. It's good to be a rebel. If anybody was a rebel, it was Jesus in this passage. He's about to die for being a rebel. Pilate's trying to be a rebel. He's trying to resist and do the right thing. But he doesn't know what's right. He says, what is truth? See, he just goes along with whatever happens because he has no position to stand on. What Christianity tells us is that there's a truth that can't be changed, and you stand on that. And anything that comes along, you rebel against it. But if you don't stand on anything, you're like Pilate. Notice in the story, the Jews are outside and Jesus is inside, and what's Pilate have to do? Run in inside and out. He keeps on going out to the Jews and going back to Jesus and going out to the Jews. What's, he's a ping-pong ball. It's a drama being acted out. It's the man who stands for nothing. Bounce back and forth. That's where doubt gets you. Tim Keller says, doubt your doubts. You can't trust your doubts. It'll make you into pilot, caught between two forces and trying to negotiate. That's what Pilate does here. He tries to negotiate. He tries to appease. Remember when uh, Hitler was invading Europe? Took over Poland, I believe. Chamberlain was the, the prime minister. And Chamberlain says, we don't want a war. War's terrible. I'll go talk to Hitler. Now, at that time, saying a statement like that made sense. He went and talked to Hitler, and they made a deal. Chamberlain comes back, and he says, peace in our time. Well, we know the rest of the story. Hitler had no qualms, had no doubt about what he was doing. He was like the Jews. They had no doubt. They were going to do what they wanted to do. Chamberlain tries to negotiate. You can't negotiate between absolutes. You see, in this story, there are two absolutes. There's the Jewish leaders, absolutely sure they wanted to kill Jesus at any cost. Then there's Jesus, 
absolutely king. And there's Pilate trying to negotiate between two of them. Trying to hold off the decision as long as he can. Are you doing that? Trying to stay in the middle, trying to hold off that decision? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it, but it's really hard. Not right now. Let's just kind of ask a lot of questions first and just wait. But look what Pilate's forced to do to hold off the end. He lets Barabbas go. He says, what if I give you a murderer? That doesn't work. But he lets a murderer go. Then he says, well, they just don't like Jesus, so I'll beat him. So in verse 19, chapter 19, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Pilate thought he was innocent. He did not think Jesus was guilty. He never thought Jesus was guilty. He says three times that Jesus was innocent. Why did he beat him? Because you have to give up more and more to appease somebody. When people believe absolute truth, you have to give up more and more. They'll never meet you halfway. So he beats them. He puts a crown of thorns and a robe. He humiliates him. And then he brought him out. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Look at him. He's nobody. Are you happy now? But they weren't happy. And if you're trying to meet the world halfway, they'll never be happy. You said, we believe some things are true in the Bible, and the world's like, we don't think they're true. And we're like, okay, well, let's meet halfway. The world never meets you halfway. Those who reject Christ never meet you halfway. You can never be nice enough for them. You can never be kind enough for them. You can never be loving enough for them. You see, we think we've got a reputation sometimes for not being loving. That's true. But in the end, it's the truth that's going to divide us. It's the kingship of Christ. And while we should be loving and forgiving and not judgmental, the world doesn't really care about those things as much as Christ is king and we don't want him. So be careful about giving up things to make yourself look good before those who are outside because you'll give up everything. And that's what Pilate did. In the end, he gave up Jesus, an innocent man who he knew was innocent because he realized the only way to make them happy was to give them exactly what they wanted. So if you're vacillating, if you're bouncing back between God and the world, eventually you'll give everything to the world. You'll give your body and your soul to the world. There's no middle ground. You're on trial right now. Who are you going to choose? The king who's in chains or the crowd outside? The, the, The leaders of this world. In the end, the Jews were politically expedient. They used politics to get what they want. But so was Pilate. He wasn't as bloodthirsty. But what did he do in the end? They said when Pilate therefore uh, sought to release him, the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. And we see what Pilate really wanted. He wanted to be accepted in this world. And he didn't want to kill Jesus. He liked Jesus. He respected Jesus. He was a little bit afraid of Jesus. But in the end, he wanted to be accepted in this kingdom. And he would kill Jesus to do it. Reluctantly, and many people reluctantly reject reject Christ. But in the end, he's still crucified. In the end, Pilate's a murderer, just like the Jews are. Pilate has a king, and it's this world. The Jews have a king, and it's the same king. It's themselves. Augustine says... A good man, though a slave, and when he says good, he means a righteous uh, believer. A good man, though a slave, is free. 
But a wicked man, though a king, is a slave. For he serves not one man alone, but what is worse, as many masters as he has vices. You either choose Christ or you serve everything that pops up in front of you. Every time your body wants something, you give it to it. Every time your job wants something, you give it to them. Every time the politics need something from you, you give it to them. And you head down a road where you're giving up more and more and more because it's your king and you serve your king. Your family asks more from you and you give it to them. Who's your king? Who runs your life? Who sets the agenda? Not who do you like. You may like Christ and you may respect Christ and you may even to a degree love Christ, but who are you following? Who are you trying to negotiate? Who are you trying to balance with Christ? Have you heard that you need to add, try religion, try Christ? No. That's what Pilate tried to do. He tried to make both of them work together, but you can't. In the end, you're forced to choose. And each one of us is going to be forced to choose. Follow Christ to the cross or go with the political powers. Go with this world and they'll give you things. But the whole point of this message is to reveal to you who your king is. And if it's not Christ, then it shows you who Christ is. Look at who Christ is in this passage. Look at the king of heaven. See, there's the kingdom of heaven. Who's the king of that? Christ is. But look what the kingdom, look what the king of heaven looks like. He's humble. The creator of this world is on trial by a bunch of petty lowlifes. Not noble people. Pilate's a, he's petty and weak and cowardly. The Jews are hypocrites. And the creator stands before these people and lets himself go through the process. He doesn't say, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm the king of creation. You should bow before me. He just quietly accepts it. We don't have the humility to put up with people around us. Yet we see the king stand quietly before people who none of us would respect. You see the humility of the king of heaven? He doesn't argue or protest. Why doesn't he say to Pilate, Pilate, you know I'm innocent. Why are you doing this? He doesn't say that. He doesn't argue with Pilate, even though he could, on the, based on the truth. Why not? Because the king of heaven has a bigger plan than getting vindicated. The plan for this king is to get convicted and to get killed. That's the whole plan. The plan is not to win. The plan is to lose. Now, that's a hard plan, isn't it? He's respectful to Pilate. He, res he talks to Pilate. He doesn't tell Pilate that he's weak and cowardly. He doesn't tell him that he's a hypocrite and that he can't even do what he thinks is right. He doesn't say any of that to him. He humbly sits there and allows himself to be a prisoner on trial. Even after Pilate beats him. In chapter 19, he says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. But then down in verse 10, he says, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, bleeding, beaten, you could not have no power, you could have no power against, at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. You see the humility in telling Pilate, 
you're wrong, but you know there's other people that are worse. While you're bleeding from the beating that man gave you. You see the kind of king that we have? It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. It's not of this world. And so Christ doesn't fit into this world. But because he's humble and because he puts himself in this position, we see that the king is courageous. Now, we don't often think of God being courageous, but look at Jesus in this story. The first thing we see is that he's alone, utterly alone. There is nobody with him. He has no friends next to them. The powers are there to kill him, and he's by himself, and he doesn't try to negotiate. What does he do? He just stays there. Now, if that doesn't take courage, you've never been alone. You've never been mocked by people. You've never had to stand against everybody. But Jesus did, and he stayed. He was doomed. You see, it wasn't like, if I can just get through this, we'll make it out in the end. No, Jesus said, we're going to stay through this, and it's all going to go terrible. It's only going to get worse. You see, this was only the first beating he got. He got another beating that tore the flesh off his bones. He knew that was coming. Then he was crucified. And crucifixion was the ultimate form of torture. He says, that's what's coming. This isn't even that bad compared to what I have to stand here for. And what did he do? He stayed there by himself. That's courage. The king needed courage because he put himself so far down that he knows what it's like to be at the bottom to stand against everything and know you're going to lose. Know you're going to be doomed. That's courage. He speaks the truth. He tells Pilate, Pilate, you're wrong. And if you knew better, you would know who I am. Now, why would that serve Jesus' purposes? You see, that could just get you another beating, like it did. But he doesn't back down. He speaks the truth. And then finally, he's dignified in humiliation. The courage not to grovel after you've been dehumanized is amazing. To have everything stripped away from you and to still stand there like Jesus does, beaten, alone, doomed to die and knowing it, and yet look how he reacts. He's dignified. That's the kind of king you want, isn't it? The king who's got an army behind him and conquers, that sounds great, but who is he? Look at the king who has nothing, no army, no friends, no power. Look at who he is in himself. That's a king that's worth following. That's a king that you should fall down and worship. But even further, look how Jesus deals with Pilate. He deals with him as a person. The king of heaven, creator, who's going to die, when you're about to be killed, you don't have time for people. When you're about to be tortured to death, niceties go out the window. You sort of withdraw into yourself, and you brace yourself for what's happening. But look what Jesus does with Pilate. He speaks to Pilate for Pilate's benefit. Jesus says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers him, are you speaking for yourself? Or did others tell you concerning me? Jesus didn't care. He was going to die no matter what. He's saying, Pilate, Who are you? Who are you listening to? Consider what's going on. He says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, are you a king then? You say, right, and Jesus says, rightly. Look at the end. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. 
That's an invitation to Pilate. He's saying, Pilate, you could turn right now and listen to me. You could be saved. Jesus wasn't going to get saved. He was going to die. But he offers Pilate a chance. He says, Pilate, I'm here to save you. I'm going to die for you. Let me talk to you one last time. That's who Jesus is. Does that compare to your money? Does that compare to your family? Does that compare to your physical pleasures? That's nothing. That's nothing compared to the king who's doomed to die, who stands there and then reaches out to the man who's going to kill him. Now, if he did that for Pilate, he'll do it for you. You haven't gone as far as Pilate, but you're in the same category. But Jesus is saying, put me on trial, beat me, abuse me, I'll still save you. I'll still deal with you as a person. He offers Pilate life, and he offers you life. What will you choose? In this trial, (laughs) somebody's got it. Are you going to choose the king who dies for you? Or are you going to choose the kings who take everything from you? Look at Christ and follow him. Worship him. Let's pray.